You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everybody. This is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. We're doing a little midweek update this week because I've got some things that I want to get out to you in a short little segment. I have on the line with me one of our partners with AARP. She is the director of their Livable Communities Program, Danielle Aragoni. Danielle, welcome to the Strong Towns Podcast. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. You and I, or or more precisely, your organization and my organization, had been working on some things together for over the last year. I'm really proud of the fact that that we found so much alignment. You guys have a new challenge grant out, and I just wanted to make sure that our audience knew about this because I think it'd be very important to them. What what is the community challenge grant? Yeah, so we are at our fourth year now of offering this grant program. It's called the Community Challenge Grant Program. It's part of our Livable Communities Initiative that you mentioned, Chuck. And what we do hope to achieve with this is to fund quick action grants in communities that really lead to demonstrable change. So we're hoping that communities are using these grants to really demonstrate clearly the the good benefits that come from thinking differently about public space by using placemaking techniques or um, by piloting new approaches around transportation, like bike share or scooter use or things like that. So the idea is to make fairly small grants to communities that help them accelerate their own progress and ultimately lead to um, more permanent change and more livable communities for all. I was looking at some of the examples of things you funded here in my state of Minnesota. The city of Burnsville got some money to put some, what you guys are calling vibrant crosswalks. I know these are not just like standard uh, crosswalks things. You're doing some some stuff. The Grand Rapids YMCA uh, started a Get Fitness program. Every state has got this long list of things that you've done. What kind of projects are you looking for here? We're really looking for things that engage the whole community. So we're AARP, obviously. We, we come at this work from the perspective of older adults and making sure that we are supporting localities and states to create places that really work for everyone. And so what we want to see is projects that come forward that have that capacity to bring people of all ages together and improve the quality of life for all. So it's often things that, in some cases, the grants that we do can be sort of add-ons to projects that might already exist in the community, such as new wayfinding or new signs for uh, for a trail system that the community might have built. But maybe they're seeing sort of low use because people don't really understand where it goes or how to use it. And another example of a project that we just funded last year in a neighborhood in Boston, they looked across their neighborhood and realized that some parts of the community were really well served with benches, whereas others were really deficient. And so they used our grant to put benches in places that hadn't been very well served. And what they saw was that people came out, they became a part of their community on ways to sort of connect across generations. And frankly, it was that it was that added level of comfort for older adults that made it easier for them to get out and enjoy their neighborhoods, their sidewalks in ways that they wouldn't have been able to without those those assets in their in their community. Who's eligible to apply for this? Do, do I have to be a government to do this or, or not? You can be, but you need not be. So we're looking primarily to find local governments and nonprofits. There are a few exceptions, but for the most part, our grantees to date have been 
of those two. What we'll really love to be able to see, especially this year, is um, how are your older adults going to be used, uh, going to be engaged in implementing the project. Um, in the past, we've had similar categories as we do this year. We like to fund placemaking. We like to fund transportation. So those often tend to be the sort of domains of, of local governments or nonprofits. We also are really interested in funding housing projects and smart cities efforts. And this year, um, a new element, again, is both how can we increase civic engagement, but particularly for all those categories I just talked about, we want to know how older adults are going to be um, engaged and be a part of the, the implementation of the project as volunteers. I want to ask you a couple of questions about the whole Livable Communities Initiative. You all are doing some amazing work. And I, for years, we shared your stuff because it was really kind of spot on. It's interesting to me because a lot of these projects that you're funding with the challenge grants, I think I have experienced as them being things that millennials are out doing. I know you guys partner with the Better Block, Team Better Block, and I want to talk about that too in a sec. But explain to me why this is something that AARP is interested in. And also explain a little bit why this isn't just a young person's thing. I mean, why is this particular challenge grant process something that is really beneficial to your uh, constituents as well. One of the the things that I always like to sort of either inform people or remind people is that we're in the middle of this massive demographic shift as a country. Um, by the year 2034, we're actually going to be comprised more of people over 65 than under 18 for the first time in our country's history. And actually in the state of Minnesota, where you live, Chuck, that's happening this year, 2020. I think that causes oftentimes it causes local and state leaders and community members to say, are we ready? Are we building the kind of housing diversity that we will need to accommodate a community that lives longer and looks differently than maybe we've been accustomed to? Are we offering the range of transportation choices that people are going to need for that day when they can no longer or choose to no longer drive? Um, are we creating public spaces that are safe and accessible for everyone? And the great thing about that work and those solutions is that they don't just benefit older adults. You know, when you think about a more diverse housing stock, that benefits everyone. When you think about safer and more dynamic parks, again, that benefits everyone. So what we do is we try to put materials and resources and information and grants out into the, the, the general public's reach that really help them implement local actions that make them more livable, more more age-friendly for all. So we do that in a few different ways. We have a lot of really wonderful free publications, one of which I think we'll talk about shortly. Um, but we also run something called our AARP Network of Age-Friendly States and Communities, which invites local governments and state governments to kind of raise their hand and say, holy cow, we see this demographic shift is underway. We want to be proactive in addressing that. And this program then sets up a structure for them to do just that over a multi-year sort of process. I'm just going to throw this out from my vantage point and feel free to either agree or disagree. One of the things that excites me a lot about the fact that AARP is all in on the neighborhood approach and making places that that are livable, that work for people, is that your members, I mean, a retirees and near retirees, do disproportionately serve on committees, boards, councils. At that point in your life, maybe you have more free time to volunteer or you have more experience to volunteer and, and you're in those leadership positions. What kind of feedback do you get from 
your membership? Are, are they thankful that you're filling this void? Are they saying, you know, we're, we're, we're glad that ARP is speaking up about these things? Yeah, I think certainly. We, we've been at this livable communities work for a few years in a kind of a smaller scale way, but just in the last couple of years, we've had it as sort of a, an organization-wide strategy, a priority. And it's, it looks entirely possible that we will reaffirm that for the next three to five years. I think that's evidence of the fact that our members do value this work. They value that you know, when we show up at a local council meeting to advocate for slower traffic, that that benefits them. And they see that that is actually improving their quality of life. The other, I think, really important attribute of this is that a lot of the work that we've described relies wholly on volunteers. I mean, it's driven by volunteers. I mentioned our age-friendly network. There's more than 450 communities that have now joined in seven states. And in the vast majority of those communities, there's a huge volunteer component that's comprised exactly of those people that you just described, people who have been active in the workforce and maybe now have a little bit more time to sort of give back to their community. And this gives them a structure where, frankly, they can put their value to work, they can put their skills to work, and where it's not just one individual working in isolation, but it's a part of a coalition of a broader stakeholder group that's seeking to move and affect change locally. So I think of we have a lot of amazing volunteers. I mean, it, it's truly staggering how many great volunteers we have. I think of one who is nearby here, us in D.C. Her name is Jane King. She works in Alexandria, Virginia. She is leading their age-friendly effort in Alexandria, and she is on commissions and on councils getting the community to think differently about how the streets operate and the fact that pedestrians need to be prioritized. And again, that doesn't just benefit Jane and her age cohort. It benefits everyone. You mentioned publications, and I know you've put out some amazing stuff. The latest one that came across my desk is the uh, pop-up placemaking toolkit You've partnered with our friends, the Team Better Block people, who, who we're very close with and very fond of. What are you doing with this toolkit, and, uh, and how can people get a copy? Yeah, so we're really excited to keep working with Team Better Block, and Andrew Howard and his team were fantastic. We, we think that we work with the best of the best, which is why we're so happy to work with you all and your team, Puchuk. But this publication is really a reflection of what Team Better Block has been doing for several years, and with which we have partnered them on doing in local places. So for years, we've done um, some sort of big scale demonstration projects with Team Better Block in a handful of places across the U.S. We realized that that's kind of an unsustainable model. So what we sought to do with this guidebook is really break it down. If you were a volunteer, you know, going back to those qualified and gifted volunteers we talked about a minute ago, frankly, if you were any community member who wanted to make your place better, how can we sort of guide you through the process of doing your own pop-up demonstration? So we worked with Team Better Block to sort of figure out the process where you first figure out a location, you know, you figure out creative ways to engage the community and develop a plan for how to think differently about a crosswalk or maybe a, a main street that isn't functioning at full capacity. How do you think about sort of existing places that aren't that are underperforming? Like they can park in lots. How can you activate those in ways that might attract investment and attract um, interest? And then the fun part about it, I think, at the end is that we feature a lot of recipes that Team Better Block has developed over the years. So we have three full recipes in our publication: everything you need, including the list of materials and how you go about the work. But then we also link directly to the full recipes for another thirty or so activities that are all available on the Team Better Block site. And we kind of break it down by 
beginner recipes, whether you want to do a colorful crosswalk somewhere, or if you want to kind of ramp it up and and think about you know building a transit stop, whether it's on a temporary or maybe a more permanent basis. There's so many opportunities from thinking differently about public spaces to really demonstrating the value of bike lanes and other mechanisms that slow traffic to make it easier for pedestrians and bikers to to move around a community safely. So lots of really great pictures, um, great stories. And I think one of the most impactful things about this work is how we have been able to, I think, work with Team Better Block, frankly, to show how these temporary demonstrations can really move the needle on a policy in a policy way. So, for example, we have the story of Des Moines, Iowa, which used some um, tactical urbanism and, and placemaking approaches to paint a temporary bike lane down one of their East Grand Avenue, down one of their major corridors. And that ultimately led to uh, an effective demonstration of the value of a more multimodal transportation plan that was ultimately adopted by the whole community. And later, it actually helped convince people that we need to not just approve the plan, but fund the plan so that we really are making sort of the promise of temporary bike lanes, of multimodal transportation, a reality. Um, So ARP was really happy to work kind of all along the way in that process through some of the age-friendly work that had been started there in Des Moines, but certainly in tandem with with folks at Team Better Block. I feel like, too, like this toolkit is really geared towards people who want to get started. Oftentimes in a community, it feels like if we want to get anything done it's got to be a multi-year process with committees and meetings and grant requests to federal government agencies. And what you're really demonstrating here is that we can take some really sound steps today to get the ball moving. And I love the fact that you're, you know, juicing those efforts or standing behind that idea with this large grant now fund that you put together to do these micro grants to communities. How much total is the Community Challenge Grant Fund that you're going to be giving out this year? This year, it'll be at least a million dollars. In past years, it's been higher, and we do scale that a little bit based on demand. So if there's high demand, we might be able to sort of fund more projects. But it's been pretty consistent. We've funded about $3.6 million in projects so far. We've awarded 376 grants. The vast majority of those have gone to um, public spaces and placemaking. But again, we really encourage and love to see creative proposals around smart cities and engagement and housing and transportation. So we we want those kinds of great ideas um, coming in. So Danielle, you, I know a lot of this work we tend to do, it goes on in cities and we think of this as urban work, but you guys have done a lot with rural initiatives as well. And you've got a new thing coming out. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we are just releasing now our new uh, AARP Rural Livability Workshop Report, um, which is kind of a compilation of really granular solutions that we heard from communities, from states all across the country about how livable communities actually can be addressed, be accelerated, be um, enhanced in rural places and small towns. So we cover things like housing and transportation, how to increase access to broadband and high-speed internet, how do rural places address challenges around extreme weather and disasters. Um, all of these things we uh, we kind of break down in this new report that we are really happy to uh, release. The rural conversation is such a fascinating one because 
the ability to make large change with just small action is so much greater in these small towns and rural areas. I don't know if that's been your experience or not, but that's certainly what I've seen. It totally is. I really agree. So this this report is actually kind of a compilation of things we learned at a a convening, a meeting that we did back in June of 2019 in the state of Maine, where we have a lot of rural communities working on this issue. And we absolutely heard that, that in some cases, it's easier to make big things happen in rural places because there are fewer levels of bureaucracy. You know who the power players are. There's already really great spirit of volunteerism and civic engagement in rural places. And I think, frankly, there's a real appetite to do things that bring the community together. So yeah, rural places are, offer so much promise in terms of being able to, to do the kind of work we've talked about. If people want to get more information, we're going to have the link on this podcast on our website at strongtowns.org. But I want people to be able to go right to you if they're listening. Where would they best get information on, on the challenge grants and just on the Livable Communities program itself? Yeah, so our homepage is aarp.org slash livable. And that's the place where you can get the pop-up placemaking toolkit. You can get it for free in print, if you like. We'll be happy to send out one or multiple copies of our toolkit for you. Um, you can also get the download for free. But you can also find information there about our Community Challenge Grant Program. I should say, too, we also have a weekly newsletter that goes out to about 85,000 folks around the country. And this, this is not a typical ARP newsletter in the way that you might think about it. It's really meant to sort of address specifically and speak to influencers, people who are taking action, who are leading work at the community level or in a position to do so. That also is a great resource. That's where we first announce things like this. So if you want to get sort of early news of new publications and new grant resources and other, those kinds of things, please sign up for our newsletter. I love the fact that we can be one of your partners and work together. There, there are so many opportunities here across the country that do span generations and do span incomes and and do span geographies. And you guys are in all of them. And uh, it's really great to see the coalition of of groups that you've put together to tackle this. And I I think it is the important issue of our time. I mean, it is the thing that uh, affects people's lives, not just retirees and not just young people, but, but it affects everybody. So thank you for the work that you do, Danielle. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much, Chuck. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, the city! The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.